Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, so if you open your Bibles, we'll get ready to start here in Genesis chapter 14. And uh, everybody, okay, let's look to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for what a wonderful book you've given to us. Lord, it guides us through our dark paths of our lives. It encourages us. Lord, we hear your voice speaking to our hearts through it. And so we pray that today, Lord, you would draw us closer to yourself as we, as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Genesis chapter 14, and uh, I'll start reading here in uh, verse 13. And there came one that escaped. Well, let me start up a little bit higher than that. Okay, so start in verse 11. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedar Loomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies, no, sorry, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should stay, said say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. All right, so in our last study, we, we, were, we, we studied here in verse 14, very remarkable transformation we saw. This is a transformation that took place in Abraham. He was, a, he, he was a man who was afraid of his own shadow, quivering behind the skirts of his wife, Sarah, as we saw in chapter 12, 
verse 13, where he said to Sarah, Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. He's quivering, he's afraid. And when we read in verse 14 the words, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to Dan. And what we saw in that verse 14 is just a complete opposite of what we saw of Abraham in chapter 12. So here in verse 14, we see an Abraham who's fearless, he's courageous, he's brave, he's risking his life, he doesn't have any second thoughts, he's, go, he's leading into battle, he has 318 against unbelievable odds that are, to, that are against him, all to rescue his unappreciative, his unthankful nephew Lot. What a change! that happened in Abraham. And we saw that this tremendous change in Abraham was because Abraham returned to his old life practice of building altars and dwelling with God at the two altars in chapter 13. In the first altar we saw, chapter 13, verse 4, unto the, that he went unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And then we saw second altar in chapter 13 and verse 4, where, uh, sorry, um, at the end of that chapter, chapter 13, you can see that there, where it says, Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar to the Lord. So chapter 12 was where Abraham knew what his problem was. In chapter 12, Abraham knew that he was diseased with the spirit of fear. It had gripped him. It had taken hold of him. He knew that he had no love. He had no power. He had no love for Sarah to do what it says to do in Ephesians 5.25 when it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. He died for it. He gave himself for it. The Lord Jesus Christ... He gave himself for the church. He died for the church. And that's our model as husbands. That's what real love is. That's what we are. So what's love? It's a dozen long stem roses and a box of Godiva chocolates. That's what love is. <laughs> no, that's not what love is. Love is willing, according to the Bible here, to lay down our lives as husbands. Okay? So, you know, die for our wives, you know, ugh, you know. Dozen long stem roses, boxes, guy with child's a lot easier. But anyway, <laughs> die for our wives. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so, die for our wives. Why can't I just get another one? I need harmony. You know? <laughs> so, God's command is not for husbands to love their wives as long as it's not dangerous. If it becomes dangerous, just get another one. I need harmony. No, man, that's man's standard. Man's standard is have and hold for better, for worse, for richer, poor, sickness and health. Till death do us part. God's standard is love and give myself for. That's God's standard. That, that's the Ephesians 5.12. Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ lay down his life for the church? Why did he die for the church? Because you might want to turn. There's a wonderful verse in Revelation 1.5. It describes why he did that. It says there in the last part of that verse, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. 
So he died to wash us from our sins in his own blood. He died to cleanse us from sin. He died to keep us from sin. That was it. And that's the love that we're to have for our wives. That's the love that husbands are called to have for their wives, willing to die for their wives to keep them from sin. If some man, some man grabs our wife and wants to sexually make her dirty, if some man takes our wives and wants to sexually defile her by making him his wife, we're willing to stand in the way, fight for her, even to die in that fight. That's what it is. That's God's command for how husbands are to love their wives. Certainly includes, you think about it, you're stopping the defilement, the moral defilement of sin. I mean, how much trouble is it to turn off a TV and, instead of letting that moral defilement come in the home? So God's call is for husbands to be ready to die to keep their wives from sin. And God's call for Abraham was to be ready to die for Sarah to keep her from becoming sexually defiled by another man taking her as his wife. And Abraham knew he failed in chapter 12. And he was, because Abraham was so unwilling to lay down his life for Sarah to keep her morally pure and clean, to protect her from this Pharaoh, that he ran away. Abraham ran away when the challenge came. And he lied and said, oh, she's my sister, in order to save his skin. So, and he, and he cowardly turns to his wife and he says, say, you're my sister. And he turns her over to be sexually defiled by this horrible, lustful Pharaoh. And he knew, Abraham knew that he had not loved Sarah to the point of being willing to die for her to keep her clean. So as Abraham looks back over his cowardice in chapter 12 and reviews in his mind, what happened? What happened? He comes to the conclusion that what happened, happened because he was diseased with the spirit of fear. And he had no, no love. He had no power. Uh, <clears throat> he had no love for Sarah. had no power. And he knew that he needed God to take away this spirit of fear that he had and give him a spirit of power and love. And of course, you know I'm referring to 2 Timothy 1.7 where it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, so Abraham knew if he's going to go anywhere with God, he's got to meet God's standards for loving his wife. He's got to have power. He's got to have sound mind. And he knew that he must lose this spirit of fear and weakness and somehow get the spirit of power and love and sound mind. So in order for him to do that, in order for Abraham to lose the spirit of fear that he had in chapter 12 and to get the power and love that we see him now having in chapter 14, and when it came to this, the spirit of fear that, 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 that he just failed with in chapter 13, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 12. Chapter 12 was for Abraham a wake-up call. That was Abraham's wake-up call. Chapter 12 was Abraham's, I gotta go to God and get this fixed inside of me. So chapter 13 is where Abraham did go to God and got it fixed. 
And chapter 14 is Abraham's another chance, another opportunity to prove that God had cured him. And, he was, and his spirit of fear, was a spirit of fear of dying was gone, and God had given him now the spirit of love. This time he had a chance to show his spirit of love, not for Sarah, but for Lot. And his spirit of power, this time he had a chance to show that he had a spirit of power, not against the Egyptians, but against Kedolormir and his army. So when he went to his altars in chapter 13, Abraham went to those altars because, one, he knew that God did not give him what he had, the spirit of fear, and he had in chapter 12. And he needed to be delivered from that. He needed to give it up. And Abraham went to the altars in chapter 13, And he went to those altars because he knew that he needed from God to get the spirit of power and of love, and he didn't have that in chapter 12. So he knew that he had changed by losing the spirit of fear that God didn't give him. He knew that he had changed when he received the spirit of power and love from God. And it was all about those altars. Because those altars, they weren't just, you know, rocks. But they were a place. They represented a place They represented a place, as we saw before, of blood sacrifice. So when Abraham came to God, he didn't come to God and say, well, God, let's get together. He came to God on the basis of a blood sacrifice. That's why we always pray in Jesus' name, because we're coming to God on the basis, as Abraham did, of a blood sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wanted that. God wanted to be together with Abraham. He wanted Abraham to to have this life of dwelling with him. That was the whole purpose of the tabernacle that God had Moses made when he said in Exodus 25, 8, he said, let them make me a sanctuary, a mikdash, a sanctuary. In other words, a place where we can dwell, comes from the word dwelling that I may dwell, a shakan, I mean, we've covered this before, that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a sanctuary so we can be together. That's God's call. That's God's initiative. And if you asked Abraham, Abraham, what's the secret to your strength and love that you have now in chapter 14? And like the question that, well, is a little bit different, but anyway, in, that was asked to Samson in, in uh, Judges 16.6, Samson, 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 Tell me wherein thy great strength lieth. <laughs> Without hesitation, Abraham would say, the secret of my strength is those altars. The secret of my great strength is, is my great strength lieth in those altars. You know? That's where I repair. That's where God fixes me. That's where I confess to God my sin, my need. And Abraham could say, and then I found that when I did that, I found Philippians 2.13 to be a reality in my life. It's God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he would say, Abraham would say, dwelling with God at my altars, that's the secret right there. That's the secret. That's how I changed. That's how I became the person that God wanted me to be. It's because Abraham, what Abraham had in his life was a real, a strong, an active approach powerful, secret, private life with God. And that was how he was able to do this great exchange. He came to the altar with his weakness, his weakness, and he exchanged it 
for God's love and power. He exchanged it there. And that's our secret also, as well, to become the person that God wants us to be. Like Abraham, it's our secret, private life with God. We have a real, if we have a strong, if we have an active, if we have a powerful, secret, private life with God. And I didn't say a real, an active, a powerful, a public life in the local church. I didn't say that. But a real, a strong, a powerful, an active, secret, private life with God, like Abraham did, then we'll be able to do like he did, have the great exchange. We'll be able to exchange what we are outside of God for what God is in himself. Now, it says in verse 14, notice again, it says, And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants. So when you read this verse, it just comes across that there's just like, boom, boom, boom. It's like, without any hesitation, Abraham hears. You know, this is quite a thing. Abraham hears his, his, his lot's taken, and he has an immediate response. It's like he doesn't even think about it here. You read about this, I mean, I would have thought about it. See, how many do they have? And, but anyway, he didn't do that. Anyway, so as soon as Abraham hears that Lot's taken captive, he springs into action. And what's interesting here is this immediacy that he's got. And what Abraham did not, there's no indication that Abraham was thinking this or Abraham was saying, well, you know, what do you know? <laughs> Lot, what goes around comes around. He didn't say that. You know, He didn't say, Lot, it just serves you right. You wanted the best land? Take the best land. You know? But he didn't say that. He did not say, I just think I'll just let Lot get a good dose of his own medicine. You know, see what it feels like to have what's his taken away from him. But there's none, of, see, that would be a spirit. And there was none of that spirit in Abraham, not at all. As soon as he hears that Lot's taken, he just goes right into action. He's going to go rescue Lot, no question about it. You know what that shows about Abraham? No bitterness. There's just no bitterness inside of Abraham against Lot. He's forgiven Lot. It's all in the past. He held nothing against him for taking the best land. Anyway, and the proof that Abraham had forgiven Lot was how immediately he sets off to rescue Lot. I mean, Abraham has the highest regard for Lot. Lot was, was Lot, we know that Lot was Abraham's brother's son. He was, Haran was Abraham's brother, and, and Haran had Lot, so that made him his nephew. His ne- that's a nephew. And there's a Hebrew word for nephew, it's neched, and so that word is not used here. That's what he was, he was his nephew. He doesn't call Lot his nephew, his neched here. Instead, he uses the word ah, he says, which is brother. You see, he calls Lot his brother. So he doesn't call him, if he called him nephew, that'd be kind of like putting him in his place, so to speak, like subordinate to Abraham. But when he calls Lot his brother, he's calling Lot an equal to him. So no root of bitterness inside of Abraham against Lot. He's not, he's, he says, forget about that he wronged me. He, Abraham pulled that weed out of his heart a long time ago when he said, I love peace. I love unity. Let there be peace. Let there be no strife among us. I love we be brethren. So yeah, no 
interest in getting even with Lot. And it's easy to read about Abraham in this case and say, well, good for Abraham. (laughs) Okay, we understand now chapter 14, and, and that's nice for Abraham. But then what about when we're wronged? How about when we are wronged and we become, and you know, and our peace goes out the window, right? Because we're wrong. And all we can think about is how that person wronged us. It's kind of like a simmering pot on a stove, it just keeps coming up. And how, and, 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 and we kind of think about, well, oh, I think my next move's going to be this. That's good. You know, I think that would go down that road. And so, how do we become. How do we become like Abraham? In other words, how do we keep ourselves from becoming bitter? How do you do it? I mean, how do you not let bitterness steal our peace? Because that's what it does. It takes our peace. Well, you want to turn to it. Psalm 119, 165 tells us. It says there, in Psalm 119, 165, it says, great peace. Great peace. The Hebrew word great is rav. It says uh, it's a shalom rab. It says great peace, great peace. It's a it's a word that means abundant. It's like great in quantity. It's, it has no limit to it. It's a peace, it's not our peace. It's the peace that's described in Philippians four seven. The peace of God passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it says great peace have they which love thy law. They have a special love for the Word of God, a special love for the, for the Bible. And it says, nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. That's the Hebrew word, mikshol. Nothing, and it means stumbling block. So there's not going to be any stumbling block that's going to come along and it's going to trip us up and it's going to cause us to fall. It says, it's not going to happen that way. And it says that because that's what bitterness does. I mean, bitterness, we're, we're walking along, we have our happy life with God, we're meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're lost in his wonders, and we're filled with his praise. Now, what could be better? And then all of a sudden, we're wronged. And we we're wronged, like said, out goes the meditating on the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we're meditating on how we've been wronged. And then we're lost in thinking of various ways to strike back. And, and then we're filled with the poisonous sweetness of revenge. And what happened? We stumbled. We fell. That's what happened. And so how do we avoid this tragedy of letting ourselves fall and stumble and fall into bitterness? And this, well, this, that's what this verse is. By loving the word of God. By loving the law of God. It's a great word for, that, that describes how you do this in, in Hebrews 5.14 where it speaks about the word of God and it says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, who even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, the, that verse in Hebrews 5.14 is referring to the Bible. And what it's saying is that those who by reason of use, that's the great word, use, who by reason of use have their senses exercised. See, that's an interesting word because that word use means practice. Practice. So in other words, who by reason of practice, who by reason of habit, who by reason of use, the more we practice, the more the Bible is our habit, the more we use the Bible, the more we love it. The more we love the Word of God, 
the practice, the habit of reading it every day, the practice, the habit of listening to it, the practice, the habit of studying it, the practice, the habit of talking to little kids, because little kids always listen to you. That's the advantage of little kids. <laughs> but the, the practice, the habit of always thinking about it, that generates love for the Bible. And the more we love it, the better we become insulated against bitterness. The more we love it, the better we become insulated from becoming offended. Now, go on now in verse 14. It's a very interesting word in verse 14 that describes Abraham's men. It says in verse 14, And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained men. It says trained men. Servants, said Trained servants. Born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. So we read that Abraham armed his trained servants. That's an interesting word. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to iTunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.